Hello and welcome to the Early Exit Podcast, where we talk about our experiences in buying, riding, and researching motorcycles and gear. Today we're talking with Sarah Mayer about mostly crashing motorcycles. I'm really good at it. <laughs> Sarah is my wife. How are you doing? Oh, you know, living the dream. Really? Yeah. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Basements. Um, <laughs> Sad towns, yeah. Crashing motorcycles, the works. It's quite a fun existence. Um, <laughs> so, going back to your first experiences with motorcycles, what is your your backstory? Um, so, my brothers had some bikes when I was little, and they'd take me on those. You know, we lived out in the country, so going who knows how fast on questionable bikes with teenage boys. <laughs> I was like, two, no gear. They would never have gear on. Um, but I mean, I loved it. It was like my favorite thing to do. And I did ride dirt bikes a couple of times growing up by myself. Almost crashed once then. Uh, but I didn't. It was out in the forest. It was a tree. It, it was close. It sounds pretty close. It was. <laughs> um, and then I, in high school, I rode a bike like one time with a guy. And then uh, after I graduated and um, I knew several guys that had motorcycles that I'd semi-regularly ride with. Um, but again, I don't ever wore gear ever i had one guy that made me wear tennis shoes instead of my flip-flops and i think he was also the only one that made me wear a helmet um but i mean we'd go like 100 miles an hour or faster at night and like nothing but i didn't mind i was young and dumb back then <laughs> so when I first started talking about getting motorcycles, what was your feelings on that? What was going through your head? Um, I was mostly okay with it just because I'd been around motorcycles and uh, I always thought it was hot, so I, I didn't have a problem with that. The only things I was worried about was the money just because we were pregnant. And I think my expectations for that were that it's super expensive. And so I was like, we can't afford two expensive hob hobbies. Um, but really, I mean, having a kid hasn't been that expensive and the motorcycles really haven't ended up being that expensive. So at least not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been pretty cheap right now. Yeah. Maybe someday when, you can get your dream bike when we have real jobs and we're all grown up for real. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be in a while. Yeah. So what was your feeling um, when you first started to actually like drive motorcycles? Like when you were the one controlling it? I mean, when I was younger and I did it that, like one or two times, I loved it. It was so fun. Um, and... I really liked it when on the 250 when we had that one. Um, that was my first experience riding a street bike by myself. 
Um, but I really liked it. It was, it was kind of freeing and, um, I, I don't know that I actually looked that like cool on the bike, but I felt like I looked cool. I think you looked pretty cool. It was the the Ninja 250 we had that you were riding in the parking lots. One Uh, time. Yeah. One time. No, I think it was twice. It might have been, but Colt was a newborn, so it definitely didn't happen very often. Yeah. So when you were riding that motorcycle, were you thinking about getting your own motorcycle? Yeah, definitely. I I knew you wanted to upgrade because it was at that uh, close to that point where you were wanting something with more power because you were more comfortable. And mostly I just wanted to keep the 250 and then have you get a new one. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to take the class, but I don't know. Life is hectic with the newborn, so I never really was that invested in it, I feel like. Yeah. So going from that experience to riding on the back of the Ninja 650, we just got in that one and we went on a few rides to like Mesa Falls. We didn't do Mesa Falls on that one. We went around our mountain. You didn't want to take that one because it was so small. Oh, yeah. That's we didn't true. go out to Mesa, but we did go around town a few times, several times. How did you feel about that bike? I thought it was fine. Like, that was what I was used to. Yeah. Um, I remember when you first got into bikes, you really wanted a cruiser. And I was just like, no, because definitely my idea of cruisers was like the Harleys that have the handles like... 10 feet up in the air and you just like look ridiculous riding them. Yeah. But, um, and just uncomfortable and you know, the whole nine yards. So I wanted you to have a sport bike. So I was okay. Totally comfortable with that. That was what I knew and expected Yeah. from riding. Um, but, and I, I think it was always fun. Like, there was plenty of power, I felt like, when we would ride together. But, I mean, we also weren't going very far. Yeah. Or doing a particularly challenging ride. So, how did you feel the first time you started to actually control that bike when you were in the parking lot? So, it was definitely a lot different um, than the 250. Just, it, even though it didn't look that much bigger, it was taller. And I had a hard time touching the ground and it was a lot heavier um which i wasn't really prepared for and i also felt like i had a really hard time getting um getting into like first gear and stuff Mm -hmm. that was really hard for some reason i struggled a lot more than i did with the 250 probably just because of nerves but yeah i mean I, i did eventually get it so so going into your wreck what <laughs> what happened? Um, so I was practicing going up into like second gear and back down to first. And I was also practicing turning, which I did really well in on the 250. Like, so I was pretty confident. I was like, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's just bigger. And then I think because um, you told me that second gear was smoother, and I did notice that, that it was smoother. Um, but I started to do that turn, and I'd been going the other way 
for most of the turns. Like I kind of went in the same like figure eight loop. And I think just because of the speed, since I was in second gear, I, I couldn't make that tight of a turn. So I went the opposite direction. And I think that partially threw me off because then instead of heading towards a more open parking lot, I was faced with a sidewalk, a fence, well, railing, whatever. More like an industrial railing. Yeah, and the building. And and then there was like a five-foot drop. Yeah, so I just was kind of, it like all threw me off. And I could tell that I was going too fast. And I felt like I had good control of the bike, but my body just like, it wasn't used to that. And it kind of like disconnected from my foot. So I, I kept pulling the clutch in and then I'd be like, and then I'd release it and then I'd pull it in. And my brain just for whatever reason, couldn't be like, put your foot down switch it down to first. Um, and then I was also like really weirdly panicked about the brakes. Like I was like, should I hit them? Will I die if I do that? Like what's going to happen? Honestly, I was like thinking of twilight <laughs> and that like scene where she like goes over and hits her head on the rock. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. I just, my brain just like couldn't connect to my foot. And so I just kept going and I hit that gravel and it sent me up onto the um, sidewalk sidewalk. And um, I think the biggest things I noticed were just how much time slowed down during that time. Yeah. And then I just like, I, I could tell in my gut that I was in trouble. Like I knew this wasn't going to end well yeah but i didn't think it would end up quite as bad as it was yeah (laughs) um so i got up onto the sidewalk and i was like well maybe i can just like ride this out or whatever i remember like kind of seeing you in my peripheral um but i just was i don't know i don't my brain was just like so disconnected from everything and The first thing I remember about being on the sidewalk at that point was my arm getting rammed into the railing. Yeah. Um, And I didn't obviously notice the pain, but like it unsteadied the bike and then the handle tipped into the um, railing, which kept jerking me into the railing and caused the unsteadiness that eventually just caused me to let go yeah and then i slid off the back and the bike i the other thing i remember is the bike just the sound of that metal screeching on the cement yeah as it slid down it's kind of a scary noise yeah and i was on the other side of the parking lot like maybe 50 yards away holding colt and then I ran, swearing at you, not swearing at you, <laughs> swearing, <laughs> swearing at the situation. Are you sure? No, I don't think I was swearing at you. I didn't really care about the bike at that point. But I was running at you, and then some neighbors came in because they were weird in a neighborhood at a church parking lot. And then they came and checked on you, and there was a mom and like a service vehicle. Yeah, the service vehicle driving past saw, and they like immediately pulled in. I don't know how much of it they saw, 
Probably not very much because I remember seeing them pull in. Yeah. Um, and then the mom across the street, I think she was like out with her kids or something. And she just ran over probably cause she could hear it and she probably heard you swearing. Probably. <laughs> um, and she came over and held Colt, which kind of freaked me out. But yeah. I mean, she was nice. I just like, it was kind of like hard to be the one that wasn't there taking care of him. It was weird. But it was good because I needed help. <laughs> yeah. And then the police. Or not the, yeah, the like, police did come. Yeah, they did. I think the ambulance got there first, though. And they checked on you and left because we had to go to the, the ER to check everything out. Yeah, anyway. they wanted to drive me, but it was literally like three blocks away. So we were just like, they kept on being like, they were like, kind of like got me semi alone. And they're like, you can tell us if you want us to take you. And I was like. No, yeah. really, I'm fine. <laughs> we'll just go. <laughs> For some reason, I thought I was an abusive husband, but I don't think I could ever do that to you. So it's probably good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I just—it's probably just protocol. Probably. But then they did help me into the car. I think the other biggest thing that I noticed with after the crash is. Um, like, yeah, my arm hurt from hitting the railing, but I, like, couldn't breathe. I got the wind knocked out of me so hard. And what were you wearing? What gear were you wearing? So, I I wasn't as well-dressed as when we did the 250. Um, I did have on a back plate and a helmet. But other than that, I was just wearing a sweatshirt and leggings. Shout out to Walmart leggings. They, like, didn't get ruined at all. Yeah. Actually, my sweatshirt didn't either. My shoes were just like some regular tennis shoes. Uh, they got trashed. Like, they're unwearable. They were pretty bad, but tore up. it's not like they like ripped off or anything. They stayed on my feet. Yeah. And I, the leggings only had like some little tiny holes on the side of my knee. I did have some road rash, but it was not even underneath where those holes were. Is In it? fact, it wasn't where any of the holes were. It was just like random other. <laughs> it was like Closes. on my foot and my knee. I don't know. It was interesting, but yeah, um, everything held up surprisingly well. Probably just because I was going so slow. Yeah, but I think the only reason that it wasn't worse is because I had the back plate and the helmet. Because I definitely hit my head. I didn't feel it. Yeah, there was marks on the helmet. Yeah. Um, and then the back plate, like, I slid on my back the whole, like, after I went off the back of the bike. Yeah. I just, I remember that. I remember I had my feet up in the air and I was just sliding. Yeah. I think something else I just remembered was when I was on the bike still, I remember uh, it wobbling back and forth or side to side, whatever. Um and I think that's when I scuffed, like, my toes and my knees up. That makes sense. Because it was grinding you against the fence for, yeah. like, a good 15 to 20 feet. I don't know that far. It's probably, like, 5 or 10. Cause that, it was pretty far. I mean... Yeah, I guess that's true. I did go back, and it was Because you hit it at the start, and then the bike flipped forward yeah. after, like, 15 or 20 feet. And then the bike landed on the curb, and you were on the ground. Yeah. No, so I guess it was, like, it was further. It At that point, 
things weren't really moving as slowly as they had before. Yeah. So it is kind of a blur and probably just a little bit of like post-accident PTSD that's like blocked it from my memory. But yeah. Um, so what did you break? So initially they didn't find anything. Yeah. They said that I might have cracked ribs. But they'd have to do a CAT scan to know for sure. Yeah. And they couldn't do anything for it anyway. So we were like, well, no. Um, but they did give me medicine, which kind of helped ease things. And just the longer we got from the accident, the more I was able to relax. I still hurt, but not anywhere near as bad as initially. Yeah. And then um, about a month yeah, a month later. Yeah. Well, no, it was like three weeks later that we did the MRI because they thought it was my rotator cuff because I couldn't lift my arm very high, like maybe 10 degrees from my up from my leg. Yeah. Um, and um, that's when they found a piece of cartilage floating. And so they scheduled a surgery and they, oh, they also discovered that I had in fact broken a bone. Um, it's the acromion, which is the part of your shoulder that sticks out on the end. Um, that like is where your rotator cuff is connected and everything. And, um, it's like the backside. It's just like a little tiny bone that connects to your scapula. And so that was broken. Um, and then the cartilage. So they scheduled a surgery for the next day. And um, they were worried it wouldn't get, be, they wouldn't be able to fix it just because it's such a small bone, but they did. They got two screws put in um, to hold it up and in place. And then uh, the more, I don't know that it was worse, but. I guess equally bad thing was that the piece of cartilage that they saw was actually a whole flap of cartilage. Um, that was torn out of that the was, socket. Yeah, that was torn up. And so they had to cut pretty much all of my cartilage out of my shoulder socket and suture that down. Um, and then I was kind of good to go. I had to be in a cast for or a shoulder brace. Brace. A uh, big fancy one um, for as long as it took for my acromion to heal. I couldn't even do physical therapy. Like I just basically had to sit there with it on 24-7. And because um, the worry was that if I, if my shoulder got pulled down, it would break the screws and then they wouldn't be able to repair my shoulder again. Yeah. It did take, so they, you know, said six weeks, but it ended up being like eight or nine weeks, I think, maybe 10. Um, towards the end, though, I did get out of the cast 24-7. It was just when I was, like, up doing things that I had to wear it. Yeah. And when they, when we got to that point, they were still doing x-rays, and they actually found that I had also broken my coracoid, which is a little tiny bone on the front of your shoulder. And from the way I understand it, there's a... Um, tendon that attaches the acromion and the coracoid. And so that's probably why both of them broke. But the coracoid is so tiny that, I mean, there was only one x-ray out of like all of my x-rays that you could even 
tell that it was broken. And by the time they found it, it was already healing on its own and it was like straight and how it was supposed to be. So they didn't do anything else for that. Um, I just had to be moderately careful. Yeah. And at that point I was doing physical therapy. The biggest things were the, with the physical therapy were that I had lost all my strength. Cause at this point it was like February or March and I broke it back in November. And so I lost all of my muscle. I, and um, first I had to get back to a point where I could even like have the flexibility to raise my arm up. Uh, and then for the last little bit, I just didn't have the strength. So we really had to work on building strength enough for me to lift my arm up that high. So why did you feel about motorcycles at that point? <laughs> um, I was like a little hesitant, but I still didn't really have a problem with it. Like, I don't know. My accident was kind of a freak accident. Yeah. You know, it was mostly just my inexperience on a bike and just a set of crappy circumstances. So, I don't know. I was still, like, I was totally fine with you riding them. I definitely, everyone was like, oh, you're never going to want to get back on a bike. And, yeah, probably a lot of people wouldn't, but I was like, why not? It's You don't, like, not use a car after you get in a car crash. So, like, really, what's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, we've talked about before, it's like, since you were wearing all that gear that saved your life, and then also, if you were to have worn a shoulder pad or had a full jacket and full, like, gear on, yeah, I think you would have been in a lot better shape. Yeah, I think I still would have, like, broken things. Yeah. But I don't think that I would have had, like, the muscle damage. Because my muscles in my arm were so bruised. Like, I still have knots that just all the way from my shoulder down to my elbow. Yeah. So I think that would have... The armor... Like, if I'd been wearing your armored jacket, that would have prevented a lot of that. Which... I guess hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But. So how did you feel getting onto a bike after that? Because we got the Vulcan after we got another bike, but we got the Vulcan <laughs> yeah. um, like maybe six months later. Yeah, so I'd been... Well, I think when we, like, when we... Yeah, six months later. When you got it, I would think I was still in physical therapy. Yeah, I definitely was. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't going to do anything because I, the coracoid obviously was still not healed because we just found out about it. Yeah. Um, and I just like, I didn't want to really risk anything. I think the crash, if anything, just put into perspective, like I have a kid. I, if I can't take care of him, like that sucks. Yeah. Cause like, if I can't take care of myself, I can't take care of him. Like just kind of defeats the purpose of having a kid. <laughs> so I think that was mostly most of my hang up is I just was like, I just need to be safer so that I'm here to take care of him. Yeah. Um, I definitely got a lot more um, aware and like angry of other motorcyclists that weren't wearing gear. Like, Oh yeah. Same. Every time I see someone who doesn't have a helmet, I just want to scream at them. Same. It's just like, 
it's such a no brain no brainer but it's such a no brainer like well i just look back at all the guys that took me on rides and never gave me a helmet it's just like and i know that you know there's guys going out on dates taking girls and i don't have helmets yeah like it's, it's scary. just stupid it a lot of really bad things could happen yeah and i think that motorcyclists need to be more educated. Like you said, you want to do the course. Yeah. I think if you've got a motorcycle, you have a responsibility to go and take a course and get to know your motorcycle. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I do wish that some of the safety stuff that they go over as far as like on the road. Yeah. I wish that that kind of thing was taught in regular driver's ed just because... In driver's ed, you're not taught to, like, look out for motorcyclists. You're taught to look out for other cars, trucks, yeah, semis, trains. I think they talk about trains more than they talk about motorcyclists. And it's just like... Livestock. Yeah. yeah so, but I think that's a lot of the problem is car people in cars aren't really looking for motorcyclists. And I think that causes a lot of... A lot of accidents. Yeah. Like, I've been cut off. I, there was one time I was on the Ninja 250, and I got cut off on the road, and she pushed me onto the sidewalk. Yeah, I, was like, I remember that. I think I, that was after the crash, wasn't it? After no, the crash? it was on my Ninja 250. Oh. Oh. I thought, didn't that happen more than once then? Uh, it's happened a couple times. Yeah. But, no, that I was when I was on the Ninja 250, I got pushed off the road, and then I went up next to her, and she was texting. Yeah. And... That's another thing, too, though, is, is what, like, Matt was talking about. It's all really up to you to be as safe as you can. Yeah. It's all really up to you to drive defensively. And in the course, they teach you about lane positioning. They teach you about being aware before we stop. Yeah. And the real dangers where you have to take real caution. Like, a country road turn is the most dangerous place for a motorcycle. Oh, yeah. Well, because cars will drive on the other side of the lane when they're taking those curves, for one thing. It's and true. Then the and then the gravel. A, yeah. And it's a blind turn. and Yeah. It's a scary circumstance. But I think everyone needs the information. Yeah. I think, though, when I did eventually get back on the by this point the cruiser i think that i was um i was okay i did notice because that first ride we just i think we went to mcdonald's and got like ice cream or something so it was only like what a mile yeah like maybe a half mile yeah so i did notice that i was like a little bit tense Um, But I didn't really notice how tense I was until we did the Mesa Falls trip. And mostly it was just every time we, like, turned. When we would turn to the right, I was like, oh, this is the way I was turning when I crashed. And then when we turned to the left, I was like, this is the side that my arm is broken on. (laughs) Um, And so that was kind of... It's kind of scary. Scary. But I did loosen up a little bit. It was a pretty ride. It was. I would highly recommend. It was the first big one that I'd been on. The first oh. time we'd gone to Mesa Falls on oh, yeah, a Mesa motorcycle Falls. together. Mesa Falls is pretty. I was thinking Alpine. Oh, yeah. No, Alpine, I think, is when I finally kind of got over the last of my fears. And I think it was because we talked about it when we stopped for lunch. Yeah. Um, it definitely, it, for me too, it was getting used to having you on the bike again. Mm-hmm. And 
it it was harder, especially going into Alpine from Rexburg. You have to go down a lot of big hills. Well, and the braking and is totally the different. Turns too. Oh yeah, the turns. It's really and then you were also following Matt instead of, so it was just like hard because they break differently than you break, you know. Yeah, I think that's something that riding groups definitely need to talk about. Like, they say this the slowest guy needs to go in the front, um, yeah. so that the whole crew can follow him. But I also think you need to change it up, like. If you want to have everyone be comfortable, you just got to switch positions pretty often and let people go on the front to get comfortable. Yeah. But I think, yeah, so I think the ride out to Alpine was really difficult um, just because you were uncomfortable and you could feel the brakes slipping Yeah. Um, at certain points. And I, I didn't really fully know what was going on, but I knew you were stressed. I could feel that. And I still had that, like, tension in my body where I was like, Ooh, we're going <laughs> to crash every time we turned. Um, but then when we got there, we were, were just chatting, and I kind of brought it up. And um, I think that helped. And then on the way back, it was it was actually nice. Yeah, it, it was. It was enjoyable. It was like... Probably the most enjoyable experience I'd had on a bike, <laughs> at least in several months. Yeah. So. Well, it was cool. During COVID, it was definitely a nice place to stop. I don't know what it's like, though, outside of COVID. I've never been yeah, to Yeah, I don't know. It seemed that. like more of a tourist trap kind of town as it is. Seriously. So, I don't know. Going forward from here, would you want your own bike um yeah i've definitely thought about it i've actually like thought about it the other day yeah. um like if we were to go to yellowstone would you want your own bike i don't know if i'd want to do yellowstone like i think that trip is hard on in a car because yeah. people drive like idiots there yeah yellowstone's kind of like the maybe if i'd been like riding a year or something i bet you could do it like, Yellowstone is hard, but I think it's just because of how long it is, and you could take breaks. Yeah, and that's true. And I have always wanted to go to Yellowstone and, like, camp there for, like, a week and do, like, little bits of the park at a time. Yeah. But, um, cool. no, I, I would. I would definitely start on a 250. Yeah. I wouldn't have a problem going up. But while I'm still, like, getting a handle on it, I definitely would not go above Be interesting a 250. to see, because you've really never driven it past, like, 25, maybe? Uh, I don't know. Like, 20? So, it would be interesting to I see I think on, on the, the 250, road. I got up to 40 on the street. Oh, really? I think so. That's funny. But, I mean, again, we were in a parking lot, so it's not like I was really There's not really a whole lot of room. Anything. Yeah. That's crazy. But, no, I would. And I, yeah, I think I would. I'd do it. Yeah? I would just would, I would probably take the class either immediately after I got the bike or before. So what kind of bike would you get? Uh, probably just a... A little 250? Yeah, a little Ninja 250. I wonder if you would like, like, a Rebel 250. I don't know. I think I've ridden one uh probably i don't know if you have it's a cruiser oh well i don't know maybe we're gonna look it up <laughs> oh, let's 
I don't think I'd be as invested in bikes as you are, though. Yeah. Actually, you know what? No. The one guy that made me wear a helmet, that looks almost exactly like the bike he had. It was even red. He had you on the back of a Rebel 250. I, maybe it was bigger. I don't know. But it was looks it the same. No, we went fast. Okay, then it wasn't a Rebel 250. I guess. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Yes, he would have been. That he was been a little really dude. Bad. And I was smaller back then. But anyways, regardless, he... Even, like, one person. Like, you really can't get those up to, like... On the highway, I, be- I bet you could hit, like, 70. I don't think I would be comfortable. Like, it just doesn't look comfortable to sit on. Yeah. That's my only thought. That makes sense. So, uh, the sport bike would make more sense? Yeah. Interesting. You know me, full of mysteries. <laughs> So would you want our kids to get into motorcycling? Yeah. I don't think that's a problem. Like, I would want to start them relatively young on, you know, really like kid bikes. Like so there's not a lot of power. Stuff. Yeah, dirt bikes. The little ones, too. Like little little tiny ones. Those ones are cute. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, kids do it all the time. And as long as they're not, like, jumping off ramps or being psychotic, like, they'll be fine you know it's not like i just don't motorcycle accidents don't just magically happen it's not like you crash just because you're on a motorcycle you know yeah which i think like some people just weirdly believe that but yeah a lot of people still do after you talk to them (laughs) yeah so what's your advice for people who who get into accidents i mean Immediately after the crash, the things that helped me the most were the pain medicine they gave me. <laughs> so, I mean, like, if you're in a lot of pain, like, my the pain I was experiencing was excruciating. Like, it was hard to breathe. Um, so, obviously, you know, we went to the hospital, and I was honest about that and got medicine. But the other thing that calmed me down was um, feeding Colt and just getting some just relaxed mommy-son endorphins. So you'd recommend that uh, <laughs> biker gang guys would... Yeah, go to a hospital and, and just, like, comfort the little kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just mean, like, you find things that, like, soothe you. Because even afterwards, even when it was stressful, like, taking care of Cole and doing what little I could... Yeah, it's, it's helped weird. me... It's weird how tense you are, like, because I got in my, not a motorcycle accident, but I got in that car accident, and I was at a stoplight, and a girl, I was in a truck, a girl hit me going... Like 60. Yeah, like 60. I was at a stoplight, stopped, and crunched her whole car. The only reason she She crunched was, your whole car. Yeah, she broke my chassis in half. Yeah. But I was in a Ford F-150. The only thing that's, that saved her life was my hitch hit her engine block. Yeah. And, and kind of tilted her car forward. Hmm. But she almost died. But yeah. after that, like, for months, I was, like, tense. And yeah. Back pain was, like, tight. I really haven't really recovered from that back pain. But um, that's a good piece of advice, though. It's just, like, calming down and then taking the meds. Yeah. Get yourself checked out. Yeah, I think sure. if you have, like, a serious enough accident, I think therapy is something... Like getting PTSD counseling because you definitely like have it. Mine wasn't even a 
super bad crash, but I definitely still had some PTSD. Um, you know, even if it's not severe, yeah. like I think I, I handle things like that pretty well just from life experiences, but you know, a lot of people don't. And I think that's okay. And I think being anxious and is normal. Well, yeah. And I, but I think being anxious, like as you're writing again, like it's good to give it a break for like a little bit, especially after you've like wrecked your bike or, you know, you had a pretty crazy experience, like, and take it easy when you do get back on, like we built up to that Alpine trip. We took a bunch of little teeny tiny trips around town. Yeah. We took the trip to Mesa falls and then we did Alpine. That's a good piece of advice for beginners. Like really, really shouldn't be. Yeah. Even just in general, shouldn't be riding like eight hour trips. Your first time around, you should be, you know, every day getting miles in, understanding curves and then yeah. you can do the long trips cause you'll feel more comfortable. Like, yeah. You need that practice. I think that was another thing that really hindered me was I just didn't have the muscle memory yeah. to help me in that situation. The course really helps with that. Like the, yeah. it's almost painstaking, but like the first five minutes, all you do is like, you're not allowed to put your feet up on the pegs. You have to like start and stop the bike and then, slowly let go of the clutch and go across the pavement a hundred times. Yeah. Which, I mean, we did a little bit of, you like did teach me some things from it. Um, when I did the two fifty. Yeah. But then it didn't translate over to the six fifty, and I forgot to get, well, you... and then also like, I mean, we really only practiced a couple of times. So it wasn't like I picked up that muscle memory. Yeah. Like you would in the class where you're doing it a hundred times. Yeah. That's true. The course was really, really, uh, oh, what's the word? Valuable. Yeah. It's really valuable. Yeah. I think some other things that helped me with the recovery afterwards were, um, I think you did really good at reassuring me because I did have those really dark times where I was like, my arm is never going to work again. I'm never going to be able to take care of Cole. I'm never going to be able to lift weights again. I'm never going to be able to do anything again. Yeah. And, um, you know, you would just kind of reassure me. You even did like some research just on people that had had shoulder injuries. Yeah. And, uh, you reminded me a lot to take it easy and, I think I knew that I needed to take it easy anyways, but just to have that second person there reassuring me. It's probably helpful. Yeah. And also like doing thing, doing what I could that was like normal to my schedule, like going for walks um, helped me because we did that all the time before. And then, um, I don't know, what were some, even just like, even though it was difficult, I would like lay on the floor. I would just figure out a way to make it comfortable and like play with Colt and, you know, try to do as many things that make you feel like you, you know, where possible. Yeah. Having conversations with people or doing homework or whatever. Cause I was going to school, so I had to do homework too. And just figuring that out. And it kind of just makes you feel more human and also distracts you from, the awfulness. Yeah. It's not really easy to deal with. Yeah. So like checking in with other people or having them check on you is probably a smart idea. 
Yeah. Here I am advocating for mental health. Look at me. So refined. <laughs> refined. I just said refined. Refined. <laughs> I'm so refined. That's <laughs> uh, classy. You know me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we'll be... I think we'll be the old people that have, like, the touring bikes. I would love to do that. That'd be fun. We should go cross-country. Get a Honda Goldwing. Okay. I want to do cross-country on... Um, I kind of, like, it just feels like zen and art of motorcycle racing. Like, that's that story is, it's about, like, a, a kid and his dad that go across the country on a motorcycle. I just like I kind of want to do that on my own first so you know what to expect yeah but then also just to like zone out and like discover myself okay (laughs) I think it's valuable though like that's why I like motorcycling is like as much as I yeah I do love going on trips with you but a lot of the time like you don't like me vomiting on our cruise? You didn't enjoy that? No, I meant motorcycle trips. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was a whole different story. <laughs> no, but uh, motorcycle trips. Um, yeah. I do enjoy that a lot. It's a lot I of fun. I think we need a bigger bike to really relax. Just yeah. because, like, you're not a small dude. I'm not a petite little lady, so... I really just want to get two bikes. I think that's valuable. I Yeah, I don't think I have a problem with that. You know, if we had, like, the job that could support that. Yeah, I know right now. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it's not like you're begging me for it, so I'm not also no. not worried about <laughs> it, you know? Yeah. But, I yeah, I think having a bigger bike would be smart. Yeah. But again, that's like the motorcycle. I, I do think that it would be nice for you to have um, what am I call it? Um, the other kind of bike, a sport bike. A sport bike. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go to bed. Um, I think it'd be good for you to have a sport bike for around town because you yeah. know you do like you have work and things, and it's a lot harder with a bigger cruiser. Yeah, yeah. Parking spaces and. Even just, like, the quickness and efficiency is totally different between a cruiser and a street bike. That's true. So I do think it is valuable, especially if you're the type of person that is using your bike for that. Yeah. If you just have a bike for fun, then I would definitely figure out which one you like more and just get the one, but... Yeah. Commuting definitely changes things. And you can commute, like, if we were in a small town... I really wouldn't mind getting like a really like smaller bike. Like yeah. Although the Groms are small, small, and they're almost comical. I, th- I like that gas mileage is insane. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. But we'd really have to live like inside of a big city, and like I'd only have to commute like twenty minutes. Yeah. Inside of a city, like <laughs> you can't what, do that. You don't want to take the freeway. <laughs> no, you can't even get those past like sixty. I don't think. <laughs> Top speed is probably like 55. I don't know. I'm not as invested in this as you are. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Maybe I will be if I get my own bike. Maybe. What are you getting me for Christmas? (laughs) I'm just kidding. That'd be be a fun gift. Mm, I probably wouldn't even be able to ride it. Well, I mean, it'd be Christmas, so. Exactly. We live in 
an ice cube. An ice, yeah, it's true. The walls are blue around us. It's true, they are. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you like how easily I get you off topic. Yeah. That... I'm sure your listeners love it as well. <laughs> I, I think they will. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, our soothing voices will probably make them really happy. I don't know that mine is that soothing, but okay, dear. All right, well, on that note, <laughs> uh, that'll probably wrap up our podcast for today. Um, again, all of our content for both this podcast and the Four Pillars podcast that's coming out soon is going to be on MWLP, as in Mike Whiskey Lima Papa.org. Um, that is going to be where all of our content will be from now on, and you can just get a quick link to Apple and Spotify podcasts. Um, but thanks for talking to me, Sarah. You're welcome. It was a pleasure, my good sir. <laughs> and I hope you all have a great day. And don't crash, because it sucks. <laughs>